Now, uh, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and go into the New Testament, past the book of Hebrews, to the letter of James. The letter of James. And I want to just set uh, one rumor aside. The bulletin cover that you see today does not mean we are beginning a study of James, the grandson of Chris and Debbie Staten. It is James, the half-brother of Jesus. It is James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And James is writing to explore the impact of faith on everyday life. And that's what James writes about in the entirety of the book. How does my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ affect every aspect of my life? James addresses so many practical things. Trials and temptations, and poverty, and riches, and materialism, and favoritism, and how we use our tongues, and worldliness, and boasting, and making plans, and just praying, and uh, what to do when we're sick. And he just really just kind of moves from one issue to the next, from one to the next, over and over. And, And it's as if James is saying, I know what you're struggling with, and I know what you're facing, and I know the problem that you're dealing with, and I'm going to give you the solution from the Word of God. And so right off the bat, when we jump into verse 2, James does that by dealing with trials. How do we persevere in trials? Perhaps James is listening to a group of people who are saying, I don't understand why all the days of my life are not easy. I don't understand why all the days of my life are not soft and comfortable. I don't understand why some days of my life are long, hard days. I don't understand why my days are not easy. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you believe that God created all that we see and all that we know and all that we touch out of nothing. Did God create the world and all that is in it by the word of His mouth? Yes, He did according to His word. God is sovereign over all things. And so when we cry out, I don't understand why all my days are not easy. Don't you think if God intended for every day of our life to be easy, it would be? Doesn't that make logical sense? So there must be something else behind the trials of life that are so common to man. There must be something about it. What does God intend to happen in the midst of the trials of life that every single one of us experience? I believe James is going to show us that God intends for every day of our lives to be tools of refinement. Tools to make us stronger. Tools to make us better. Tools to make us look more like Jesus. So how does that happen? James begins by telling us 
that we should not be surprised when life gets hard. If you will take a look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James tells us that they're unavoidable. Right? The word trial is a Greek word that is translated trial in verse 2. It's translated trial in verse 12. It's translated temptation in verse 13. And temptation again in verse 14 that we will see next week. How do we know what it is meant to be is simply by the context with which it is used. So James is wanting us to see in verse 2 through 18 that trials and temptations in life are inevitable. He doesn't say if you encounter trials. No, James says count it all joy when when you experience trials of various kinds. In other words, it's a fact of life. He says they're unpredictable. You notice the word meet, right? Don't uh, consider it joy when you meet. The word meet literally means to fall into unexpectedly. So trials are not things that we plan, right? You don't plan to have a flat tire when you drive down the road. It just happens. Trials are unplanned, they're unpredictable, they're inconvenient. They come in all shapes and sizes. He says various kinds of trials. Small trials and big trials and minor trials and major trials. Trials can be short or long or emotional or physical or mental or circumstantial. They come with various degrees of difficulty. We have those fiery trials, those intense encounters, those intense struggles. We have infirmities, we have physical limitation and illness can have persecutions or harassment and oppression due to religious conviction. We have various distresses and tribulations, the Bible says. So those unusual pressures and challenges. And sometimes we respond well to those pressures and sometimes we don't. South Africa's Oscar Pistorius is known as the Blade Runner. He made history by becoming the first double amputee sprinter to compete in the Olympics. He completed in 2012. Oscar Pistorius overcame tremendous odds. He was born with no fibula bones in his lower legs. were surgically removed below the knee when he was 11 months old. Other athletes, when they saw him run commented if something like that happens to you and you lose both legs some people would give up for him to continue to run is absolutely unbelievable it is amazing what we are watching with our eyes and yet not even a year later on valentine's day in 2013 
He was arrested and charged with the murder of his girlfriend. Our trials are various. And we don't always respond the same. James says that our trials are useful. In other words, they have a purpose. That trials and temptations are inevitable and God intends both to strengthen our faith. You notice the word steadfastness in the text that Jesse read for us. Uh, persevering during trials. The word steadfastness literally means to be firm. It means to be resolute. It means to not waver in the face of difficulty. Steadfastness is not merely a a feeling we have when something happens to us. It is a choice. It is a determination we make to carry on, especially when the days are long and hard. This is what James is calling us to do. James says, count it all joy when you go through the trials that are thrown at us. Why would we consider a trial a joy? And James is showing us it is because God uses it to conform us to the image of Jesus. So what we should be asking in the midst of various kinds of trials is, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing right here, right now? Our trials that all of us have experienced over the course of our lives. They are not signs that God has forgotten us. They are not signs that God is unfaithful to us. They are certainly not signs that God is unfaithful to the promises that He has made in His Word. No, beloved. Every trial that we face is a reminder that our Heavenly Father is committed to complete the work that He has begun in us. They're used by God to produce steadfastness. And the result of steadfastness is maturity. That's what verse 4 says. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how can we count struggles and pain and hardship as joy? How do we do that? Well, first of all, we do that when we remember that it brings glory to God. We can count it as joy because it brings glory to God. There are individuals watching us that may be puzzled by our joy in the midst of tough days. And when they ask us about our joy in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, we can simply answer it's all because of the goodness of God. We can be joyful also because we know that it is shaping us in a way that makes us look more like Jesus. James is telling us that trials are never out of God's control, that God is using every trial we go through to accomplish His purpose in us. That is why this text is one of the most profound passages in all 
of authentic Christianity. Right here. James 1. Do not buy into the blasphemous theology that says God never wants you to be sick or poor. That He wants you to claim health and wealth. Beloved, you simply cannot find that in the Bible. When James says, count it all joy, he is giving us a command. It's an imperative. It's a verb that addresses how we think. It's not about how you feel. Julie and I last night were listening to Alistair Begg preach and he was talking about when I come to worship. He was talking about a worship service that he had attended and it was all about how you feeling this morning, how you feeling. And he said, I I wanted to stand up and shout, don't tell me how I feel, tell me what I know is true. Because that's the need of my life. Trials may not always be joyful in and of themselves, but they are certainly joyful when we remember that God uses them to grow us. And so what James does in the rest of the text is show us how that happens. And let me just briefly mention them to you this morning. Step number one, James says, ask God to help you see clearly. Ask God to help you see clearly. So when he begins verse 5, notice the very first thing he says. If any of you lacks wisdom. So the implication is clear. We're lacking something. And that something is wisdom. James is saying we're not there yet when it comes to wisdom. And that we desperately need God's wisdom when we walk through trials. So James is saying, what should you do when you walk through a trial? And it's very simply, we ask God. We ask God. This is our way of admitting when we go through trials that we do not know all that is going on like God does. This is our way of admitting that we don't see everything that God sees. That we don't know everything that God knows. So we just ask God. And James says we ask God. Why? Because He gives generously. If God gives His wisdom so generously? Why aren't we crying out for it every day of our lives? This is an important step. Because it's not our normal fallback position. You know what my normal fallback position is? When all of a sudden I find myself slammed into the midst of a trial. My natural fallback position is, God, why me? (laughs) Am I alone? Can anybody testify? God, why me? Why is this going on? Or my, my other fallback position is, God, you need to get me out of this right now. 
You need to get me out of it like yesterday. I think that's why James says, we're like waves of the sea. Right? So often, our normal fallback position means that every little wind just blows us to and fro. James says we're <laughs> unstable. We're double-minded. Let me tell you what that means. It means three things. <laughs> Number one, it means we're fallen. <laughs> And Paul said in Romans 7 that there's a constant battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. In other words, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, perfection was now replaced by distortion. And that's why our tendency is to respond to trials with things like frustration and anger. And bitterness and self-pity and depression and despair. Because we're fallen. Sin has distorted our view of things. Secondly, we're finite. I mean, we're just simply limited in our understanding. We only see the present. We only see that which is right before us. And then... Third, I would say, not only are we fallen and, fi and finite, but dear ones, we're forgetful. Right? Just as we sang this morning, man, we can easily sing Romans 8, you know, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare His own Son, but graciously gave Him up for us. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all that we need? And so we can sing it on Sunday morning, we can sing it one moment, and by that afternoon we can be grumbling over a trial that has come upon us that we weren't prepared for. We're forgetful. We forget that we actually deserve much worse than we ever experience, right? We forget that we, in reality, deserve the wrath of God. We forget that Christ suffered immeasurably for our sake when He died on the cross. We forget that Christ defeated death when He rose from the dead. We forget His promise in the ascension that He will be with us even to the ends of the age. We forget that the sufferings of this present life cannot compare with the glory that is to be revealed in us in eternity. We're forgetful. That's why we cry out to God for wisdom in our trials. So step one would be just ask God to help you see clearly. Right? Step two would be rely on God's resources. Now maybe when you listened to Jesse read the text this morning and you looked at verses 9, 10, and 11, you, maybe you ask yourself, why in the middle of a discussion on trials does James start talking about riches? Right? Why in the midst of the trials of life is James telling me about riches? Well, many of James's original readers were poor. 
But there were some who were rich and were trusting in their wealth. James is simply reminding us that the trials of life, you know what they have a way of doing? They have a way of leveling the field. They have a way of showing us that the presence of material things or the absence of material things will not help us solve our problems. We need spiritual resources in the midst of a trial. Not material resources. Step three is simply trust that the gospel will see you through to the end. Trust that the gospel will see you through to the end. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man. By the way, I I seem to recall in the back of my mind somebody else getting up and preaching and sounding a little bit like this, right? Blessed. That sound a little bit like Jesus to you? That sound a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount to you? Does it shock you that the half-brother of Jesus in giving us a solution to the trials of life would just take us back to the words of Jesus himself? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So James closes by saying the one who endures trials is blessed. Why? Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in His life, His death, His resurrection, your life becomes anchored in the gospel. And as a result, you possess a living hope. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. It is kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It is the gospel that reminds us that we can stand firm in the weight of the day-to-day trials. Why? Because we know a day is yet to come when our gracious Savior will set the record straight. He will make all things right. There is no magic formula for escaping the trials of life. Trials are a normal part of life and those who endure are those who see who the Lord Jesus Christ sees them through to the very end. To stand the test means the goal, dear ones, is simply not how you get through it. The goal is how you come out. The goal should never be for us, Lord, I'm in the midst of some fire right now in a trial that I don't understand and I don't see it clearly. And so I'm begging you to give me some wisdom to help me. Why? Because when it's over and when the fog clears and when the day gets clearer, I want to be able to stand up and testify to the goodness of God. Yes, there's a trial. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's painful. And yes, we all go through them. 
but praise God my Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. Isn't that the way you want to end? Isn't that the way you want to stand in a world that is confused about hope and love and the beauty of the gospel? The world needs to see God's people standing up in the midst of all the normal stuff that everybody goes through and yet proclaiming God is so good and God is so faithful. The gospel always directs us to the future life. That's why James says he'll receive the crown of life. James says when you're in the midst of the trial, don't miss your place in eternity. Don't forget about it. Don't forget where you're headed. The gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us of God's love for us and our love for Him. And that's why it con- the text concludes with God promised to those who love Him, those who are able to endure the trials of life. Do you know who they are? They are those who already have a genuine love for God in the heart. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial right now today and you are unsure about even what this day will bring in your life. Can I humbly suggest to you the greatest need of your life is to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not know what tomorrow holds, but as the saying goes, you certainly know who holds tomorrow, right? And you trust in the goodness of God. How do you respond to the trials of life? Don't be surprised by them. Don't become discouraged. Don't give up. Don't quit. And don't question God's goodness. Ask God To help you see clearly. Ask Him for wisdom. He gives generously. Rely on His resources. Don't rely on your own resources. Rely on the things that you cannot control. And then trust that the gospel will see you through to the end of your life. I want you to take this with you as you go home today. As you go, well, as you go first to Bible study. And then to your home, I want you to take this with you. Behind every difficulty you face is an ever-present Redeemer who is simply completing His work in you. We know the Scripture verse. We testify to it. We quote it. Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will do what? He'll complete it. He will complete it. And you know what that means? That he is going to use especially the long, hard days of your life to shape you in a way that makes you look like Jesus. In a way that makes you count everything as joy. 